Uh, we're in the middle of a, of, a, of a series called Pop Solutions, and what we're going through, as I've really been enjoying it, we're going through uh, common words that we use all the time that maybe sound a lot like what Jesus would teach or the gospel, but perhaps aren't. And um, kind of getting to the nitty-gritties of some of the words that are like, okay, is that really what Jesus has called us to? Is that really what uh, the gospel is? And um, kind of trying to sift through the fog of what culture would say from what scripture would say. And so today, uh, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics. I, I like to talk about church whenever I can. Maybe you've noticed this about me. But we're talking about the difference between an organization and the church. And so, uh, of course, everything in this series is a little bit of semantics. So is the church an organization? Of course. Is it a thing? Uh, I mean, uh, the, de the definition of organization, I looked it up, is just people coming together for a purpose. So, yeah, in that way, yes, of course it is. Uh, but... Um, I think that there's a depth to the word church, and I'll kind of be, kind of be interchanging the word church and family today. Uh, so if I say church, I mean family, and if I say family, I mean church. But uh, there's a depth to that that the word organization just doesn't capture. And I think that if we run down the road of organization, we can end up in some tricky places that gets a little hairy given the objective of what we're trying to accomplish together as a family. So I don't know about you, but another way of saying organization uh, perhaps a buzzword in culture that people think is a good thing, and you know, in many ways it is, but we use the word cause a lot. And we join, a, we join an organization or an association or a uh, mission uh, for a certain cause that to accomplish a certain purpose. And this is great because causes and, and uh, pur like purpose, they're, they're all great things. I mean, there's so many NGOs that have amazing mission statements and amazing causes worth fighting for. I know a couple weeks back, uh, Dave Marchiaro and Dylan were up here talking about the ride for refuge and raising money for refugee families. I mean, unbelievable. It's, it's uh, what an amazing purpose to fulfill. And, uh, and we need these things. We need causes. And it's good to feel like we're part of something bigger and, and, um, and, and to fight for things that's, that really require fighting for, to be honest. But what I wonder is, you know, is that all the church has become? So we have a mission statement, right? We want to multiply disciples who love God for another in the world. My favorite thing about our mission statement is how impossible it is. <laughs> I just love how there's just so many words in that that I think like, wow, those, that requires a miracle. And I think we're going to unpack today about how spiritual family and church is our best case scenario for accomplishing said mission statement. But if we just look at that and we go, oh, okay, everyone, this is what we're going to go all do together. And it's pretty compelling. You know, it's a, it's a compelling mission statement. Let's go multiply people, and let's love God, one another, and the entire world. <laughs> you know, it's just, these are great things. Why wouldn't somebody sign up for that? Um, here's what starts to concern me, is, is if that's all that's ever said, and we, and we keep leading with it, and we don't talk ever about what's really being stitched together here, which is what we're going to do today, I, here's what I get a little bit worried about. Is I, get, I get worried that the words start to turn into words like this, okay? Uh, like recruitment. I don't really like that word very much. It's okay to be looped into something, but recruited to something is, I don't know, it's, there's, a, there's a little bit in my heart that goes, okay, that's, that starts to feel a little weirder. Uh, what about branding? Or, 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 or uh, like, uh, core messaging of a, and so of course it's good, it's good, it's good business principles to make sure that there's a clear values and purposes to any organization, including this one. Duh. But, are we building it? Are we building this thing around uh, a brand that everybody agrees with and understands? Of course, that's great, but is that the core of what's going on? 
What about meeting felt needs? Oh, this church or this organization has a mission statement that fulfills needs that I have or needs that I see, so I'm going to join it because it accomplishes something that I currently see as valuable and needing to be accomplished. Again, nothing wrong with that, but need, does it need to be deeper? <clears throat> another, one, another word for all this stuff would just be charity. Like, are we a charity that collects funds and loops people into a great idea and then distributes it to the needs that, that exist? Well, of course. But is that all that's going on? And so I don't know about you, but as I was thinking about the nuance of the difference between organization and church, I realized, is it possible that as we describe church, we hit a ceiling or a floor, I don't know which one it is, but we hit a, a ceiling of like, oh, but I don't think it's, everything I just said is stuff we do. But is it all that it is? And it, is it the driving force? Is it what makes us a church? So, if we <coughs> start to unpack, uh, oh, I think I have a clicker, let's see here. If we start to unpack um, what the church really is, it's, in scripture, it's described in not any of the ways that I just did, really. It's, it's way more extreme. Uh, we're called the children of God, like his family. Like we're, we're co-heirs with Christ of an inheritance and we're children. Like the, the actual capital C church body of Christ uh, bride, <laughs> bride of Christ. Like it's, it has so little to do with mission statements. <laughs> if you really delve into what the Holy Spirit's trying to build through his church. So of course we need to get organized and we need to be clear about what's going on. Uh, I just thought of this now, but something I talk a lot about in my own conversations with people, especially in ministry, is um, the luxury of clarity. So st t tell me, stay with me for a second. This is a little bit of like a soapbox, but uh, we love clarity. Like we just love it, and it makes tons of sense, and I know what's going on, and uh, I'm fully tracking on how my my donations are contributing to this goal or my effort is contributing to this output I need and everything's clear and I know what the brand names are and this, this, you know, this organization has this thing which stands for that and everything is just super clear in boxes and we wind up with a lot of different, accidentally almost, uh, brands and things that just meet the needs of, that the core goal is to recruit people to the needs of what, I don't know, it, it starts to get all tricky because we're just being so darn clear all the time. And uh, when I hear the church described, it's a lot more messy, it's a lot more relational, and actually a lot less clear than maybe we'd like it to be all the time. And it seems to have a different objective. So what I wanna do is I wanna read uh, uh, Ephesians. And um, uh, I'm gonna read a bigger chunk, and then this is the last part of the chunk I'm gonna read, because it was too big uh, to put on one slide. But uh, it's kind of funny, I'm gonna talk about Ephesians 5, which is talking about how husbands love their wives, but, it, but it's, uh, that's not the point of, the, of, of this particular talk today. It's see how mixed together, as I read this, the relationship between husbands and wives in marriage is compared to Christ in the church. Uh, to make the point of what is, really, what is he really building? So let me read this. Ephesians 5, starting in 25, and we'll read till 32, which is on the screen. But Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is on the screen. The mis- this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, uh, that m- the mystery of marriage and one flesh and togetherness and all that beauty is referring to Christ and the church, meaning uh, Christ and the church is a more extreme example than marriage. Like, he's trying to use this pale, mere example of marriage (laughs) and a husband and wife to try to explain to you what the church is supposed to be to to him, (laughs) to Jesus. So then all of a sudden, you know, mission statements and causes start to be kind of pathetic (laughs) reasons to gather and given that objective, like greater than marriage, really. So we're supposed to be able to hold greater tensions inside whatever the church is and the way that the Holy Spirit uses it and works with it. It's supposed to be more intense and intimate than a marriage relationship. That's fascinating. So what is the purpose of the church? I think it's family and marriage becomes a mere metaphor. And, uh, uh, I want to re- I'll put one more verse up here. This is John 13. Um, I'll just read it, and then I'll say what I mean. Uh, check this out. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I, just as I have loved you. Uh, you are also to wa- love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So not only is, uh, is it somehow about this relationship, like the only thing going on as a, di- as a display to the world of what is different about the church than any old cause is the love that we have for each other. So it's, it's this kind of intimacy, and it's also this. It's actually all that's going on. It's the only thing that makes us different. So, I don't know. I don't, there's not a lot of mission statements. Um, there's not a lot of mission statements that I've seen. I mean, including ours, you can miss it. Uh, we, we say love one another in there, but like, do we really, is it really the only plan? Is, is it really what we're banking everything on? So, the question begs to be asked is like, why does the church need to be family? Why does it need to be that? Why does it need to be actually a more extreme example of family than maybe any of us have experienced before? Um, So think about the purpose of a family. I mean, your nuclear family. Think about what the purpose of it is. Maybe that's a strange thing. Have you ever thought about the purpose of your family? I don't know. But think about your upbringing. What was the purpose? If you're having a hard time articulating it, it's probably because it's everything. It was everything. It's why you are who you are. It's what your last name is. It's, it's a, everything. It's so then, uh, okay, so this is, this is my little theory. This is my little theory, is that inside family is where the tensions of all correct things get balanced. Like all good things get worked out in the tension of family, and there is a lot. Think about growing up, and there's just tons of tension in it, but there's an objective that's beyond the cause or the benefit to you. It's like, no, this is making me who I am, and in fact, I need to disagree with you. I need to have tension with you. It's actually really essential, given the objective of making (laughs) you all that you are. What a hilarious mission statement. It's everything to you, actually. Let me imagine that was up there. Everybody in Vancouver, this is everything. This is everything to you. 
<laughs> oh man. So a uh, couple of the bal- a couple of the tensions that I've experienced inside family and then also inside church is uh, uh, is this about me or is this about you? Right? Like think about asking that question inside of a family, right? Inside of your nuclear family. Is this about me or is this about you guys? Well, yes. <laughs> right? Like that's the answer. Yes. You can't as soon as you try to answer that question in one side or the other, it's going to be wrong. <laughs> right? Of course, the child is there to, this is about you. But then the child gets to give back somehow, and it's purposeful to the parents. And then one day they're going to take care of the parents. And then the cycle gets, like, it's yes. Of course, it's just absurd to think that it would be about one party or the other. Um, another tension. Is this a place where I'm accepted as who I am, or do you want me to change? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine thinking of a child saying that? Am I accepted <laughs> for who I am, or do you want me to grow up? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. That's silly. That's silly. Uh, are you going to feed me, or am I supposed to contribute? Yes. Um, am I special, or are all these other people special? Yes. You know the Incredibles? The supervillain is trying to make everyone special, right? And then no one is. <laughs> right? You know, syndrome? Syndrome? Anyone? Pixar is my favorite. So a good example of this, a good example of this idea is like, if every, is everybody special? Like, is this about me? Is this about you? Uh, oh, there's two sermons in a row referencing our, our family, but it's just a good example. Is I remember when, um, I remember when something like 10 years ago, we got a bunch of, boys in our house. Um, they weren't at the foster system in the time, at the time, but now they are. And um, y- mom was trying to describe how love and family is not like a, it's not just a normal resource, right? It's something else. It's something that goes far beyond, is this good for us or is it good for them? Are we thinking about them or are we thinking about, uh, like we're going to grow up a little bit, but uh, like they'll benefit us, but it's mostly about, and it's just like, wait, no, no, that's the wrong lens. Like this is, if this becomes pragmatic or Causey, <laughs> it just you ah, gets messed up. So the um, the 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 metaphor that was used is our family sat around in a big circle, and uh, uh, mom has a candle and she gives us all candles. This is very deep and poetic, right? We knew something was going to happen, right? Well, wow, we're all getting candles. Oh, do you guys? Sorry, aside, do you guys remember at the Christmas banquet if you were there when our whole family was standing up there with candles? And we passed it along. So a little bit of, it was a, this, that was a little bit of an homage to this moment I'm going to describe now. Also, do you remember when Toby's didn't work and he was the only one? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? He was standing next to me. Literally, guys, I'll let you into I wish he was here. He was standing next to me being like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, under his breath. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> it was this nightmare. Um, it's okay. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, what happened was we're all sitting in the living room with candles all around and then you know, mom lights her candle. She has a candle, and she starts lighting everybody else's candle with her candle. And at the end, the point was, is my flame smaller as a result of all of this lighting? No. Are any of your flames smaller? No. And it was this really tension-filled thing of like, oh, this costs me, costs you, costs that. But it but also n- we didn't lose anything. In fact, we gained a whole bunch of light. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just really deep and really profound. So, um, 
There's a little, uh, you know, a little sound bite for you, but I think the tension of family, like, gives us one, if that makes any sense. Like, we enter into that moment, and now we have a family. It wasn't like the result of doing it right gave us, like, living in that space. Like, oh, I have a family now. <clears throat> so in order to, you know, explain this, um, well, I want to use the, an example of, of, of Peter in Scripture. Because Peter is a... Uh, Peter is a very, very fascinating character in the Bible. And he, there's a lot of tension in Peter's life. So uh, why I want to tell the story of Peter is because I think the thing that adds the most tension in our life is direction and motion. So actually, Johnny referenced this when he was leading worship earlier, but he said that, like, be my guide for the road ahead. It's, we're going somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere. It's not a static thing. And when there's a progression to anything, tension is always introduced. Like in the tensions I mentioned, like, do you want me to, uh, am I accepted for who I am, or do you want me to change? Well, yes. Like, but but there's a, the reason why that's tension-filled is because we're trying to go a place together. So, um, Peter, w- Peter started the church, essentially. You could say in many ways he was the first pastor of the Christian church. And uh, the verse is... Um, Matthew 16, 18, yeah. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So uh, something about Peter's life is indicative of the way that the church is supposed to operate. Like something about Peter's life and the way that Jesus treated him the whole time was your life is, is going to be... Um, who you are and what you've stood for and what I've done in you is indicative of the way that I want you to lead the whole church. Like, this is, this is the kind of person we're creating. And your authority to be, like, I'm going to build it on you is because of my relationship with you. And it, Peter's a very interesting person to pick. And so I just want to unpack a few little, we won't do it for super long, but I think this is a good example for us to try to make this all personal. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, wh- what, what does it matter? What does it matter? Um, I think God's building his church through all of us right? And so maybe Peter gets, you know, he's, he's the rock, and he's the first one. Congratulations. But we're not different. So what about his life? What about his life can we learn in the ways that we conduct ourselves inside the church? So uh, what should we emulate? The first thing is that Peter started as a fisherman, and uh, I mean, Jesus says to him, uh, he approaches him in a boat. He's fishing. It's what he knows. It's great. And he says, uh, Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So that's neat. Uh, here's what I think about when I hear that is um, Jesus meets us where we're at and he speaks our language. Like, I like that. Isn't that nice? That he would come and say, okay, see what you're doing there? I'm going to give you a better version of this. And in many ways, I don't know about you, but it sounds a little bit like a cause do you ever think why they dropped their nets? I like to think it was because they were overwhelmed with the love for Jesus, and <laughs> I don't know. But in the moment, it's a little bit like a sales pitch. In fact, it's a strange sales pitch. I, 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 you'd think if you were trying to recruit people to yourself, Jesus had a lot better lines than that. He could have said, I'm God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is going to work out great for you. <laughs> like You're going to be famous forever, and people are going to talk about you 2,000 years from now at Langara College. <laughs> And uh, there's, there's a whole lot of things he could have led with, right? But instead he says, uh, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to speak your, speak your language. 
and I'm going to give you a bit of a cause to join, like a better one than yours. Good. Not a bad place to start. And then you're like, okay, that life purpose is, more, is better than my life purpose right now. That actually makes tons of sense. Because this, this whole thing is getting a little empty. <laughs> so I'm going to follow you because you seem to have a, a, a plan. And it starts there. And it almost conjures this idea of like babies and milk and family, you know? It's like, even Paul says later in the New Testament, you can't handle this. Like you just need, to, you can't handle solid food yet. You just need some milk. And that's fine because there's a, there's a progression to our journey with Jesus and, and that's, that's why it needs to be a family. So at the very beginning, he's inviting people into his family through a felt need, through something that they know because he's taking them somewhere. And in particular this morning, we're trying to figure out where he's taking Peter. So uh, I think it probably for Peter, it felt like he was joining a little bit of an organization, I would imagine. Right. This little band of people that Jesus was putting together, trying to accomplish something. And I'm really hoping I'm going to benefit. <laughs> right? Like if I'm Peter, <laughs> I just left everything. This better work out for me. Uh, I mean, obviously a child doesn't think this way, but I mean, it's hope, the child's hoping for some things from parents, <laughs> I would imagine. And so you join being like, I have some felt needs. And we know this from the rest of their life. Like they're arguing about who's going to be greatest among them. They, well, they want to sit at Jesus' right and left, and then they're all getting in arguments about it. Like they're missing the boat entirely, like a long way into the journey about what Jesus is really trying to accomplish. Like we know that Peter's a little skewed on his, uh, on his, on his hopes for following Jesus, much like we are, I think. We get a little skewed on the why of why we're here a lot, I think. So here's what's fascinating. Is, uh, he starts as a fisherman, but Peter became a shepherd. So I'll tell you what I, tell you what I mean by that. I just think this is fascinating. Uh, we're going to read the scripture in a moment. But Jesus, Jesus turned Peter from a fisherman into a shepherd, which is kind of like analogous with pastor. So you can start the church. And uh, this is really, really juxtaposed with a, with a fisherman, okay? So a fisherman, the fish are nameless and faceless. And you're bringing a hundred in, and you're counting them, and it's, and it's about accomplishing something, and you throw the little ones back, and you keep the big ones, and it's, you know, and it's actually quite poetic that they left a huge catch behind to go, f to go follow Jesus. But a fisherman isn't thinking about the fish, right? There's nothing to do. But if you contrast that with a shepherd, that they know, like, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And you go after the one. Like, uh, the way that a shepherd conducts his work is actually a deeply personal thing. That's why it's used in Scripture so much as the way Jesus was the good shepherd. Like, that's the language people would have understood. And in order to be a good shepherd, you actually have to know your sheep because they're stupid and they wander and they... Uh, but they have personalities too, but just enough, like just enough <laughs> to know your voice, like just really dumb. And people get that. People get that. And in order to be a good shepherd, the sheep will totally scatter if they don't have a good shepherd. Yeah. They will just wander and die and be eaten by wolves. So um, think, about, think about the mind of a fisherman, right? You're not fish like, oh, this cute little bass. You know, like you're not, you're not going to, form an intimate relationship with a fish. <laughs> it's just very, very pragmatic. And then you're going all the way to being a shepherd. Now, do I think that there's, you know, do some people need to think a little bit more top level about large groups of people and big vision and bringing in harvests and catches, of course. Uh, wh uh, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying 
everyone goes from the journey of being a fisherman to a shepherd necessarily. That's not my point. The point is Peter changed dramatically. He changed dramatically. And uh, that change, super helpful for what (laughs) Jesus was trying to accomplish through him. Let's read the... um, Oh, yeah, one last little point about this. If you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, like the, the books that Peter then wrote later in his life, it's, they're the most pastoral books in the New Testament, one could argue. Like he's writing to the persecuted church of like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. It's the, it's the scriptural example of like, shh, 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 like literally that's what First and Second Peter are in many ways. I just think it's so beautiful. And he's, and he's referring to them as sheep all the time. And you can hear the love in his voice for individuals and for family and like, oh, it's so neat. So let's read the, let's read the scripture. This is, what, this, is where, this is where Jesus tells Peter who he is. So he says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Which, when we were in Israel, super interesting, when we were in Israel, uh, a really great sort of Hebrew scholar interpretation of this little moment is that Jesus is referring to the fish that they just ate. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating, hey? Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Peter became something. And like he changed. You know? Like he he really changed as a result of being, well, as a result of being what? What? As a result of what? That's the question today, actually. The, 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 the church is this, is, this is the first church member. <laughs> this is the first church member. And it's this crazy, poetic, deep, intermixed, complicated, tension-filled moment of, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Go feed my sheep. It, it's yes. Yes to all that relationship means. So I think, uh, I think the church is becoming like Jesus. Well, I think I have that up here. It's one of the lines you can remember. The church is becoming like Jesus. That's what it is. It, you could put, maybe that should be up there. But it just doesn't make sense to anyone, so you have to have sermons about it. But we're becoming like him. And the question becomes, How? How do we become like him? And this scripture is just so explicit. We love him. And that's, I think that's the only question he's ever asking. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then, the, and then he's so kind to give us ways to express it. He's like, then feed my sheep. Love what I love. Do what I do. Become who I'm becoming. Like, follow me into something. Like, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's, isn't it interesting? Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I can imagine Jesus just being like, oh, it's not the best example. Like, <laughs> and just, but I'm taking you somewhere. I actually want you to be the, the first shepherd of my church that, oh, it's just beautiful. But I think what Jesus is mostly thinking about is I'm just, I just want you to love me because I know that's what's best for you. I just want you to love me. 
And I'm going to do whatever I can to get you to notice that. So perhaps that's why we're here. I want to read one more scripture and then we'll be done. Uh, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this. Consequently, you, being the church, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole being is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Isn't that neat? Like, that's, a r- that's cool. Isn't that neat? That's what God's doing. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love that it's, you're built together to be a dwelling. Like, you're not just built on your own to be a dwelling. You're built together. And somehow, family and the tension (laughs) that follows is essential. And Jesus giving you a family in which his spirit can live. And I don't think we do this on our own. I really don't. I really don't think we just go on the mountaintop all the time and that's complete. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You can chew on that forever. He doesn't go, do you love me? Good, great. (laughs) It's like, nope. There's a, there are dramatic implications to loving Jesus. Dramatic. And the, the temptation to jump into, oh, he needs me to prove it, is so high. For sure not. There's so much kindness in Jesus there. And he's, and he's reinstating Peter. Peter betrayed him like big time. Right? The crow three times thing. Peter betrayed him big time. And he's, this is, the, actually, the, cha- the title of this chapter is Peter's Reinstatement. His, his re-ignition, the primacy is a fancy word. And this big thing is, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So, question to end, do you feel like a part of organization or do you feel part of a family? <laughs> this, is, this is the big question. Do you, f- do you feel part of a cause? Or do you feel part of something that God is building together that his spirit can live in so that he can know you and love you and Our church can do this in better and better ways. But this is what we're trying to accomplish. And I think that one of the most helpful things for you is the tension that togetherness brings. And I'm pretty sure Peter would have been a lot happier if he could have just been a fisherman and gone and built the church by thinking like a fisherman of just bringing people into a cause. But instead, Jesus says, I'm going to make you a shepherd because I'm going to show you how my love actually changes you. And gives you so much more than you could accomplish on your own. So I think organizations are held together by mission statements, but I think the church is held together by a deep love for Jesus, like a deep love for him. I want our church to be held together by a love for Jesus. And the implications of that, I think, are a thriving community that, where his spirit can dwell. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I'd like to pray for us. Um, Father, we, we thank you for the church and for the, the genius that it is and for the, for the gift that it is to us. Thank you for building a family. Thank you for building something that can house <laughs> your spirit, that can house a relationship with you. And God, we just want to be a dwelling. We want to be a dwelling place for you. We want to be a dwelling place for your spirit. Yes. And so God, we are open to whatever you would have us do. Yes, yes. God, we want to feed your sheep because we love you. Thank you for, the, for the, this, this mission that you've given us. And yeah. Help us to join something that's bigger than ourselves. 
not for our own sake, for the sake of others, for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of our love for you. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be the church in the fullest definition of such. In Jesus' name, amen.